Good evening to each of you. It's a joy to be here with you again this evening. I expect that on a Friday evening in Lancaster County, there's just a lot of things that you could be doing. And the fact that you're here this evening is encouraging to me. May God bless us together as we look at his word tonight. I'm going to begin with a continuation of an example from botany. I enjoyed that devotions. About 17 years ago, my family moved to North Carolina from Ohio. And that was an exciting time, a time of adventure, of starting, helping to start a church plant and relocating to a place that I had dreamed of living for years. And um, one one um, one day I found the dream property when I was there, and it was a fixer-upper house, and I was enthused about that as a young man. So we moved to our little property there in North Carolina, and in our yard we had a very large tree, a magnolia tree, which was something new for me, and I, I loved it. I, I, I was impressed by it. It was a large magnolia tree. It had big leaves on it. It was green. It looked very healthy. The flowers of the, of the magnolia are fragrant, and you can take them, and you can put them around your house, and it just gives uh, just a nice, uh, pleasant aroma. Even during a year of drought, I noticed that the tree was flourishing. It was growing, and uh, it was green and lush. Soon after we moved into our house, my wife mentioned that it seems like when the washing machine is running, the, some of the drains are bubbling in some of the other uh, rooms and some of the other uh, bathroom and things like that. And so I tried to attend to that, and I, I finally got a, one of those rotary electric um, snakes to try to clean out some lines, and that didn't work. And finally one day the, the toilet bubbled over, and so I realized that something needed to be done. So I, I said, well, I'll try to find the septic tank. I'm not sure where the septic tank is. I looked around for it. I had, to find, I had to dig, and finally I found where the tank was. It was much closer to the house than I had assumed. Um, so I dug the area from on the top of the tank and dug down to the tank. And uh, I was surprised to see that the top of the tank had cracks in it. It was a concrete top, but it had cracks all through it. And... So I investigated a little further, and I started pulling chunks of concrete off the top of the tank. And to my amazement, to my horror, the entire top of the tank uh, was, was covered with a thick mat of roots, several inches thick. And it was going out both the outlet and the inlet, completely plugging the system. And those roots traced back 40, 50, 60 feet to where my magnolia tree was my lush, green, beautiful magnolia tree. And we had to make the decision either to move the tank and replace the system or to, to take the tree down. And uh, sadly, we took the tree down. It was a disappointment. We were very uh, sad to see that tree go. 
like to talk about a root this evening, and I would like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews tonight, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And that seems to be a very uh, negative way to begin a sermon tonight by reading a passage like that. But I woke up this morning with a sermon on my heart that I felt was encouraging and uplifting. And as I went through the day, I realized that maybe that wasn't what God wanted me to speak on. And so I considered this one. And I feel it's a need that I would like to address this evening that root of bitterness. And verse 15 is the verse that we really want to spend some time paying attention to. We're told to watch diligently, lest we fail the grace of God. So this is telling us that it's possible to depart from this grace, the grace of God, that we talked about last evening, the glory of the grace of God, the grace of God that gives us so many things and enriches our lives and, in fact, gives us hope beyond the grave. The grace that has brought us up from the miry clay and set our feet on a rock and given us purpose in life, that's the grace of God. It's possible to depart and fail of that grace. God has given us his grace as a gift And it's a gift that he means for us to experience in its fullness. And we then exude that grace to everyone we meet, to our spouses, to our children, to the cashier at Walmart. To everyone we meet should see and know that we have experienced and are experiencing the grace of God in our lives. So I would feel it would be a real tragedy when I would fail of the grace of God. And we're told in this scripture that we are to guard against that happening. What happens? How could it be that we could fail the grace of God? Well, if we look at the next statement in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. 
The root of bitterness. That's what I'd like to speak on this evening. And I, I walk alongside many people who are called of God to serve and who are fruitful and who have the engrafted word of God implanted in their hearts and who are faithfully serving him. But it has seemed to me over the years that as I walk alongside people who are passionate about serving the Lord and who are wanting to do what's right, this is a real, a real struggle. This can be a real issue, a root of bitterness. And so I want to encourage you tonight. I don't want this to be negative or, or for you to feel unduly condemned. But I want to offer hope if this is your condition this evening. So I want you to know that from the start. I want you to be encouraged and find hope and help in Jesus Christ and others who would want to help you. To show us why or how this root exists, the writer of Hebrews gives us two examples. One example is a fornicator. He talks about that in verse 16, lest there be any fornicator. And what is that? It's a person who has who takes what, what God, who robs God of what God has called holy and beautiful and good and turns it into something vile and ugly and bad. And then he uses the example of Esau. And why would he use Esau as an example as he's talking about this root of bitterness and the carefulness that we need to have in guarding against having this? Esau is called a profane person, a profane man. We know him as the firstborn son who is entitled to the blessing, the birthright. He was the inheritor of the promise that was given to Abraham and to Isaac. But the story line goes like this, that he was out hunting He was unsuccessful in his hunt, it seems. He was upset. He was tired. He was hungry. The first thing that he saw upon his return was his brother Jacob stirring a pot of soup. So instantly, the value of one bite of that soup was more important to him than all that he was entitled to. So he exchanged everything for nothing except for a few bites of soup. And it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. So in both of these cases, the fornicator and Esau, it's an example of exchanging the riches of God's grace, all that we have and are entitled to in Christ, for man's way. Though God created and blessed marriage, fornicator says, I'll choose my own way. I'll do it my way. I don't need God to tell me how to live my life. Though he had all the blessings coming to him, Esau said, or thought, impulsively, I'll choose my own way. I'll do it my way. And he traded all that for nothing. And we read, I read how later when he realized his mistake, it was very painful for him. He sought it. He, he wanted to change it. He wanted to reverse the course of that. But it wasn't possible. 
and even though he had tears. But I want to offer hope to you tonight. A few days before I came to the States, I wanted to take my wife out for a, a little date, and so we went to a local, uh, we went to a local restaurant, and we were sitting there enjoying our meal. We sat there and enjoyed our meal. Then I, as we were walking back out to the parking lot where we had parked our car, there was a tree on our, in our pathway, beside our pathway. And it was a large tree, and someone had taken a chainsaw and had carved unique things all around the, the tree, into the tree, including some words. And these were the words that I saw. I'll do it my way. No, I did it my way. I did it my way. And I thought... Those words sound kind of familiar. Where did I hear those words before? And so I later I, I looked, I thought about it some more, and I looked it up, and I realized that those are the words of a song, a song that was sung in my in my grand in my in my dad's generation, and it was kind of one of the key songs for a a uh, a cultural revolution that was defined by rebellion uh, against the norms of the day. And the song was, I did it my way. I did it my way. Bitterness says, I'll do it my way. Bitterness says, the grace of Christ, with everything that we are entitled to, because we can be receivers of that grace, the kindness and the love of God, we're going to say instead, God's grace is insufficient for the situation that I find myself in right now. God's grace is unable to help me have a good attitude towards this difficult person in my life. I have a right to be angry. I'm allowed to hold a grudge. I can choose to withhold forgiveness. I am going to allow my mind to have the permission to think bad thoughts about that person. I'll do it my way. Now, we might not be that bold as to say that, but sometimes we think that, or we live like we think, like we believe that. Friends, tonight, if we are to maintain our faithfulness to the grace of God, it's very important that we are careful to allow, we are, we are careful to guard against this root of bitterness taking hold in our lives and in our hearts. The definition for the word bitterness is, and this is the definition from the text, it's an unpleasant tasting poison. Something that doesn't taste pleasant. And someone has said, being bitter is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. But we've taken that poison in ourselves. I consider bitterness like this. It's a deep feeling of resentment as a result of a person or a situation that has caused a real or a perceived hurt to come into my life. I said a real 
or a perceived hurt. And I walk with people who have been hurt deeply, and I realize that all of us could talk about the difficulties and the hurts and the disappointments that we have faced in life due to the decisions of other people or situations that we found ourselves in. We deal, we work with difficult people sometimes. We are involved in trying situations. I think you've all been there. I've been there. I like to think of myself as a person that doesn't fly off the handle very easily. But I realize that I have the propensity for taking hurts and internalizing them and allowing something called bitterness to grow deeply within my heart. And I need to know this because if I don't claim the grace of Jesus early on in that situation and ask forgiveness and forgive those who have hurt, that bitterness that will grow and grow and grow. I need to root that out of my life. I'd like to talk tonight about where bitterness grows, what it feeds on, how it harms, and then finally a cure for this root of bitterness. So where do roots grow? Well, we know that most of the time they grow underground. It's interesting to me that the longest combined roots of any plant is the single rye plant. Uh, someone has found on in one rye plant, if you combine all the myriad uh, roots and you would add it all together, you could have a root that's 370 miles, 387 miles long. I found that I find that to be astounding. Also, there is a tree in South Africa. It is a fig tree that has roots that are 400 feet deep. This illustrates that roots grow deeply and they grow prolifically. People who are bitter and who have bitterness within their hearts can train themselves to smile to talk nicely, to do good things, but all the while have within their hearts and in, within their minds attitudes of resentment and unforgiveness and animosity. And in my own self, I don't always detect that. And when I, even when I do detect it, when I see it in my, in my heart, I tend to justify it and say it's okay. Why do we justify this? Here's why, I think. You know, as believers, we know that when we commit a sin, that we should feel guilty about that. And that's one reason that we don't want to commit a sin, because we don't want to have that sense of guilt. We want to have a clean conscience before the Lord. Some of you know that my daughter and I have a project, and that project is to move a puppy from the United States to Ireland. It involves an airplane, and it involves a lot of um, red tape. And we were working through that red tape, I thought, quite well over the last few weeks. Today we had an appointment. I had an appointment. And I realized that 
we had done some sequencing of the documentation in the wrong order. It was spelled out very clearly the order in which things needed to be done. We had done something in the wrong order. The person that was documenting this for us in order to certify this dog to be able to fly with me on Monday when I go back to Ireland said something to me three times. The first time I I didn't quite understand what this person was saying. The second time I got it and then it came to me the third time. And this is what it was in a roundabout way is if you lie if, you, if I tell this person the untruth, that she will document it as truth, and all will be well, and the dog can go with me. And when I understood what, she, what this person meant, what she meant, I, I thought, you know what? It's going to be very disappointing for me and for my daughter that this particular puppy needs to wait at least three weeks before it can fly to Ireland but I, can't, I cannot tell the untruth. It, it would not be right to say, to give a certain date when that date is off by at least three weeks. I can't do that. I wouldn't have been able to stand here and, and speak this evening had I done that. And I, under, I would believe that of you, of you, that you would not tell a lie. We cannot tell a lie as believers. So when we commit a sin... Our conscience bothers us. We feel guilt. But what happens when someone commits a sin or a wrong against us? Such as a friend of mine telling an untruth about me or a partial truth about me. What am I going to do about it? Well, my temptation is, the temptation is for me to think ill of him, to question his motives, So maybe even kind of dislike him. In essence, I'm going to be tempted to become bitter at him or at the situation surrounding what took place. So I'm going to be tempted to sin against God and become bitter. But I'm not going to feel guilt. I'm not going to necessarily feel guilty about that. I'm going to actually justify that. That's the temptation that we have to not feel guilty about our bitterness, but to instead justify it and say, well, it's my right. That's how I should be feeling. I believe that's why the writer of Hebrews says we need to look diligently, and that means to pay attention. We need to keep our eyes open, and to to really evaluate our lives. Is this within me? Am I guarding my heart and my mind from bitterness? Am I able to relate with people, even those who are difficult, with a clear conscience, with open face towards them? Is what I am portraying to them, actually how I feel about them. Looking diligently here, 
I found also means that we're not only to look diligently within, but also for the relationships that we are responsible for and that we're engaged in, to look diligently. Because I can't see bitterness sometimes in my life, and I like when people are looking diligently in my direction. I can't tell you how often that my wife has pointed out attitudes within me that were wrong. Feelings that I was carrying that were tainted with bitterness. It could be something that quickly rises up, like someone who pulls out in front of me, and I want to drive right against his bumper for the next two miles. Or it can be something that's gradually accrued over time of someone who continually is difficult to work with and is negative against me. My wife can pick that up and say, look, that's not the right way to think about that situation. That's not the right way to think about that person. I think it's important for us in our relationships that we ask those who are close to us, how am I doing? Is my attitude right? We should be open to those kinds of things. Here are some ways that we can tell if there's a root of bitterness by what the root of bitterness feeds on. And I'm going to look at some look at some and refer to some places in scripture tonight where the word bitter or bitterness is used or if the word is not used the attitude is there. And let's just face it what bitterness feeds on is not so different than what my magnolia tree was feeding on. Pride feeds this root of bitterness. James 3:14 and 15 say, "If you have bitter envying, I'll read I'll say that again, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Bitter envying. Envy here is not like wishing you'd have someone else's belongings. Envy here is hot, striving contention. If you have bitter contention, don't say, I'm justified and glory in that. Don't lie against the truth. James here is depicting a person who is harboring within his heart the attitude that I'm right. He's wrong. I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm right. My way is best. Listen to me. Do you know people like that? Are you a person like that? When I have been that kind of a person, invariably I will come up against a brick wall because I'm not always right. I am sometimes wrong. I think maybe I'm wrong at least once a day. If I would ask my wife, she would at least remind me of that, right? So when I, when I come up against it, if I'm proud, I'm either going to retreat into a corner and kind of pout, or I'm going to go back at it for another 
go around. Bitterness often comes as a result of unfulfilled pride. If I don't get my way, if I was right, but I didn't get to prove it, that can tend to lead to bitterness. Often, then, bitterness, that, that person will go out and try to hurt the person that confronted him. Sometimes It might be a person in authority. It might be a sister in the church. Pride in my life will feed this root of bitterness. Let's be humble. Let's be humble in our relationships. The root of bitterness also thrives in a jealous heart. You remember the story of Simon, Simon the sorcerer, as he's called in Acts chapter 8. He began to follow the apostles, and he noticed that Philip and the others were laying hands, and it seemed like the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to them to give. And he wanted to have that as a gift. Peter, in his rebuke to Simon the sorcerer, says this, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He wanted something that he couldn't have. Because of that, he sinned and fell into the sin of bitterness. When I have a desire that is unfulfilled or a dream that is shattered, I can tend to look at another person and want what they have. We can look at someone else who has a successful business or a successful ministry. We can look at a friend who is getting married and perhaps you're, you're still uh, single. You can look at a friend who's a couple who's having another child and you're childless. And you want that. You desire that, that thing. You desire that gift. But for some reason, God has chosen to not give you that at this time. And when we're jealous, we can start having bitter thoughts. Unfulfilled expectations can cause a person to become bitter. So what do we do then? Instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice like we're called to do, and weeping with those who weep like we're called to do, we begin to weep for ourselves, pitying ourselves. And I know we have experienced the pain of unfulfilled expectations, and it's easy to look around and notice people who have those things that we wish to have. But let's rejoice with them. The root of bitterness also grows in a heart that is unloving. Colossians 3.19 There we are told, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now why did Paul say that? Love your wives and be not bitter against them. This is a positive verse. It's a verse that reminds us that we are to love our wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. It's a giving love. It's a self-sacrificing love. 
But then he continues to say, but don't be bitter against her. Why to the husbands? I've, I've wondered about that. Do we as men struggle with bitterness more than the ladies do? Possibly we do, but one thing we know for sure is that bitterness exists in the vacuum when love is gone. And we as husbands are called to love our wives. And we, when we don't love our wives, or when we don't love in any relationship, when there's a lack of love, bitterness will creep in. Sadly, some men harbor secret resentment against their wives. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And also men, we are called to model love. Model love for our children. Model love for our wives. Model love to the world. We're, we're called to not be examples of bitterness, but to be examples of love. It's important in the relationships that will ensue and that will follow the ones that we uh, exemplify. Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Don't exercise the silent treatment or make sarcastic remarks and innuendos. Don't have angry outbursts. Those are all signs of bitterness. Justifiable hurts also feed this root of bitterness. These are legitimate, real things that we all face. Where we're innocent. We didn't go out looking for this hurt, but it came to us. What are we going to do with it? And I th- I'm reminded of the story of Absalom, and you can find that story in 2 Samuel. It's a story of a man who was tremendously gifted, a man who I'm sure his father had high hopes for, a man who God would have been delighted to use. Absalom had a a beautiful half-sister by the name of He had a beautiful sister by the name of Tamar. Tamar had a half-brother who was also Absalom's half-brother named Amnon. There was a, a very devastating crime committed. Something very wrong took place. And Amnon defiled Tamar. And it seems like Amnon went off scot-free. And it was Tamar that bore the shame, the pain. And as we read the story in, in 2 Samuel 13, we, 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 kind of, we kind of are introduced to Absalom and how he come, comes alongside and helps and talks with his sister Tamar. And he kind of takes in that shame and that pain, enters into that with her. But we also see something developing in Absalom's heart, and that seems to be bitterness. Bitterness is not mentioned in 2 Samuel, but we see the, the, the results of what happened in his life. It was a genuine hurt. 
We read that Absalom hated Amnon for what he did. We read that he decided, he made the decision to not talk to him, neither good nor bad, just not talk to him, not communicate with him. This went on for two years. It festered, it went on. Then there was this plan to murder Amnon. He was waiting for justice to be done. Justice wasn't done. And so Absalom said, I'll take matters into my own hands. And he did. He had his servants murder Amnon for what he had done. But Amnon's death did not bring healing. Meanwhile, it seems like there was a failure on the part of their father and the king, who was the, both the head of the, their home and the head of the country and their spiritual head, and just washing his hands of the whole situation. Not being a man that was faithful to the call that God had given him. David, we wonder what David was thinking and what, where he, what he was doing during those years. Absalom requested a meeting with his father to talk this over, it seems, two times. And he was rebuffed by his father. And so there he was living in Jerusalem. His own children were growing up. David's grandchildren, it doesn't even seem like David took an interest in his own grandchildren, didn't want to have anything to do with his son and talk with him. By this time, I suppose Absalom could say he had a right to feel frustrated and bitter against his dad, against others, and against the situation, and perhaps against God. And so he reacted by burning a field, burned down a barley field. And then he began to sit in the gate in the place of where his father would have sat, listened to the people, and he said, oh, this, this hasn't been done right. This is what should be done. And with time, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of David's kingdom. And then finally, he rose up in rebellion against his, his father. And when his advisor told him the plan, how he was going to kill his father at a time when he was vulnerable and weak and alone, Absalom agreed to that plan and gave his blessings to have his own father, father's life ended. Well, we know the end of Absalom was in the branches of an oak tree when his head caught in those branches and he was killed with three darts by, uh, that, were get, that were thrust into him by Joab, David's general. What a tragedy. A man who appears to have been a handsome, gifted man with much potential but the trajectory of his life ended in death. 
and was characterized by bitterness. That seems to have begun with a justifiable, legitimate hurt. The root of bitterness will try to latch onto a legitimate hurt found in the heart of an innocent person. Maybe that describes some of you tonight. Sometimes we try to just push that hurt away. And like Absalom, we start not trusting people. Especially when we sense that there's an avoidance or lack of communication. Sometimes we have those years of just kind of analyzing a situation and looking at it from different ways and thinking about it. And that root just keeps growing deeper. People who are bitter can sometimes remember minute details of something that took place 20 and 40 years ago. Painful situations. We're called to forgive. Well, we can't forget, we need to try. And I will just give a word to the King Davids that are here tonight. I guess anyone who is in a position of authority, whether it's a pastor, it's a father, a teacher. We need to be men of integrity. We need to be people of integrity. We need to be people who are trustworthy. And this is probably an area in which I struggled in as a young person and as a young adult. That my root of bitterness I justified for. In my experience, two of my mentors left the church, men who I trusted. The man who baptized me uh, later was excommunicated from the church. I felt disillusioned by people who I had trusted who I realized later were not trustworthy. And so I struggled for a time in my life with um, just a lack of trust, lack of trust especially in leaders. And my response in bitterness was just suspicion and fearfulness. But that was wrong. And I realized that during that same time, there were many men and mentors who were trustworthy and who were men of integrity. And there are men like that and ladies like that here tonight. I'm learning to trust, and it's, it's a lifelong process. But my wife and I just had a recent conversation, and there again, she is so helpful. We were talking about a particular situation, and where someone has broken trust, what do you do? Especially when trust is re- broken repeatedly. We tend to just say, look, I, I'm not going to trust that person anymore. Amy said, if we cannot give that person the grace to earn, to re-earn trust, even when it's been broken, we will, we will be miserable people. So we need to trust. Of course, trust comes with an understanding. Sometimes hurts. Sometimes the sins of others 
need to come with limits and barriers. We understand that. But can we give someone the opportunity to earn trust? God calls us to trust. God also calls us as we go along to be in roles of that, call, that cause there to be a need for us to be trustworthy and men and women of integrity. That we give no cause for someone else to have a root of bitterness in their hearts. Well, the harm of bitterness every year roots to millions and I'm sure billions of dollars worth of damage. I was involved in construction for many years, and especially in concrete and masonry. And we've seen structural and foundational damage that roots have caused. Um, especially after some years of negligence, you'll, you would see concrete raised or, or walls pushed in by roots that have been growing and pushing for years. The damage took a long time. Bitterness has done so much damage in, in churches and in families and in organizations. And sometimes it seems like the, the, the devil, well, I know the devil uses this as a tactic to destroy what God is using for his glory. Satan wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the mission. He wants to destroy the purpose of God's people. He wants to destroy the family. And often we have worked with people who are passionate about something. They want, they're serving the Lord, but it seems they're held back by bitterness. It damages relationships. Our verse in, here in Hebrews 12 15 says that this root troubles us if we allow it to spring up. It's going to trouble us. Bitterness is exhausting. It's, it's damaging to people physically, spiritually, of course, and emotionally as well. It, it can crowd in. It can become our focus. Yes, forgiveness is, is, is a hard thing to do. But to not forgive is awful to live like that. Our verse continues and says that if left go, it will defile many. It will hurt many. Beethoven, the, the musician, died over 200 years ago. And his death was a mystery. For the last years of his life, he had suffered irritability and depression and even stomach pain. It was his dying wish that someone would be able to tell what was wrong with him. But it wasn't until 1994 that some experts launched into a study of Beethoven's death. They were able to chemically analyze one of his strands of his hair, and that revealed that Beethoven died of lead poisoning. 
How was he poisoned? It's hard to know. But in those days, they would have used um, lead uh, eating utensils. Maybe he was in a place that, where they ate a lot of fish. I don't know. But at any rate, the lead poisoning did not kill Beethoven overnight. It was slow. It was a quiet death. A little poison at a time until he died. And the thing is, this man knew that there was something wrong. Things were not right. But he went to his grave not knowing what it was. And he went to his grave hoping for a cure. I hope that this evening, from the short time that we looked at a few verses and talked about a few examples in the Bible, we've seen that this root of bitterness is a silent killer that will destroy. But I'm happy tonight to also be able to end this with a cure. I'm going to read Ephesians 4:31 and 32. Refer to this last evening. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let all bitterness along with its associates of wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, be put away. Put away. That word, as it's used in Ephesians, has the idea of pulling up an anchor. So the Dunmore East Sailing Club is ready for its day of adventure in the, in the bay. All around are our sailboats and yachts with their sails unfurled. And there you are in your boat. You're looking at your friends. You're looking at the other people in the club. And not only are they enjoying the day, they're going somewhere. And you don't understand why. You have your sail unfurled as well. You're poised to sail, but you're not moving. And why is it? Oh, then you notice you're still anchored. This word put away is like pull up your anchor so you can go. Bitterness can be that anchor. God would want you to sail into the purpose and the plan that he has for your life. Bitterness will hold you back from that. We need to repent of bitterness if it's in our lives, and we need to root it out by the power of the word of God with the aid of God's Holy Spirit. God could have been bitter at us for all we did to him. 
But Paul reminds us that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Think of what God could have thought about you, but instead he forgave you. There's no malice in God's heart, in God's mind as he thinks about you. He's forgiven you. And hear the words of Jesus. We want to hear Jesus tonight again. When he was on the cross, he wasn't gritting his teeth and thinking, just wait, there's judgment coming. I'll get even with them. He wasn't bitter. His words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That same Christ empowers us to be kind, to be tender-hearted, to be forgiving. And I know these things are difficult. And if we walked in this journey of bitterness for a long time, it's not something that we can maybe handle on our own. We need to have someone walk alongside us and help us in that journey. And I know there are people here that will be happy to walk alongside you. If that's what's in your heart, is there a root of bitterness creeping in through your heart tonight? Has the pain of injustice caused you to build up walls around certain people? Are there people that you would just you'd rather not talk to? You just would kind of like to move around and go on, on your way. Are there rebellious thoughts in your heart or distrustful thoughts in your heart against those who God has called you to be over you in the Lord? Would you be willing to be rid of this root of bitterness tonight, to surrender it to the grace of God? It would be, it would be a courageous act to do that, but your heart can be free from this awful destroying root. I know that for a fact that because the date was etched in my memory. The day it happened, I knew where I was standing. I knew what I was thinking when those words came to me. They were devastating. They were painful. And I did not forget them. I remember the tears I shed. And every year, for some reason, on that date, those memories came flooding back to me. The same feelings came flooding back to me. And this went on for a number of years. Does time have a way of erasing these things? Perhaps. But one year, it was a few weeks later, thought, you know, that date came and went, and I didn't even think about that and when I think about it now I have no bitterness maybe some sadness a little regret but no ill will no no bad feelings that I say would be a testimony to the grace of God we need to release that we need to forgive let's not fail the grace of God in this way because God's grace will never, never fail us. Let's kneel to pray.